Turn with me then back to the to the book of James. We'll read today. Um, we'll back up again and read the first four verses and read down through verse 10 today. Our thoughts will come from verses 5 through 10. Picking up again where we left off last week. And I want to ask, or, or the title for the thought today is Making God Your Friend. Making God Your Friend. James writes in chapter 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Making God your friend. Are you a friend of God? If someone were to write an honest biography of your life when it is over, would they conclude that you were a friend of God? When you leave this world, will the world know that a friend of God has left this world? We continue today where we left off last week and we turn from the sobering reality that being friends with the world makes us an enemy of God, we now turn and James we turn with James to this to this concept, this this teaching of what it is to be a friend of God and how we can make ourselves a friend of God. And how does one become a friend of God? And and maybe if you're already his friend and you already know him and you have a time and a place in your life where you were saved and you submitted to him in repentance and faith. Now the question might not just merely be how do you become friends with God, but how do you become better friends with him, greater friends with him? And without anything else to say at the beginning, we look at verse 5 where James asks this question after making the statement that to be friends with the world is to make oneself an enemy of God. He says here, Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously 
over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. There, there are a great many difficulties with this verse. Verse 5. A great many difficulties. And they, they begin with just the translation itself. If you look this verse up in the King James and the American Standard Version, uh, you, you'll read a, a verse that sounds quite different than the one we just read here in the English Standard Version or what you would read in the New American Standard Bible and others. The King James reads this way for verse 5, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So the translation is a bit of a difficulty, and then, of course, the intended meaning of James is a bit of a difficult thing to determine with great certainty. I myself don't believe that I can be or anyone really can be dogmatic about the meaning of this fifth verse in it in a specific way because as I see it and as many others have seen it there's really one of two options that we can look at this verse at and we'll, it's necessary for us at the beginning here this morning to carefully look at this fifth verse because it sets the tone for I think what follows. And we don't want to just merely be academic today in our remarks, but it's important that we think about some of these things. There's really two primary ways in which we can look at verse 5. One, that God is jealous over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us as his creatures. That he longs to have fellowship with us. That God is jealous over us and in the lives and the spirit in which he has given us and the lives and the spirit that he has given to dwell in us or the second option supported by the King James and the American Standard and others that follow that translation is we can look at verse 5 that it teaches that the human spirit tends toward envy and lust and striving and conflict and I think sorting out which meant which James meant specifically as I wrestled with it and tried to come to my own opinions about it, I, as I said, I don't know that one can be dogmatic about it. And, and honestly, I think both are true. I think both opinions, both views are true. However, I do think if I were to have to choose one or the other, I do believe uh, that the idea that God is jealous over us is the, the more accurate way to look at this passage. The fallen human spirit does indeed tend toward envy. That is true, but I believe that the ESV has the more likely meaning of the passage. That, Namely, again, that God jealously longs to have fellowship with us, with you. He's jealous over you. He desires to have fellowship with you. And I think that that seems a natural thing to say and to follow up the statement that he's just made in verse 4, that if we make ourselves the enemy of God, that are, or the friend of the world, we make ourselves the enemy of God. I think then in verse 5 where James would be saying, listen, God is jealous over you. I think that's a natural flow of thought. And I want us to think about that again for just a minute. And I want us to remember again that that is exactly what we are. We are God's creatures. We are His creation. And He desires to have fellowship with you. He jealously 
longs to be your friend. He wants you to be his friend. And so we have to come to terms with the fact of the scripture that if we make ourselves the enemy of God, we must recognize according to scripture that he does not want to be our enemy. It is not God's intention to be your enemy. It's God's intention to be your friend. It's not God's intention to make Himself your enemy. If you are God's enemy, it is because you've made yourself such. According to Scripture. Not according to my opinion or the opinion of anyone else, one way or the other. The Word of God says it clearly. Now sometimes a man might think that God has made Himself his enemy. Maybe things don't go right in life. Maybe some difficulty makes itself known in his life and he wonders and he thinks why God is against him. We've probably heard people say things like that before. It seems like God is against me. It seems like God wants to be my enemy. It seems like nothing in life is going the way I desire it to go. And so sometimes men can reach the conclusion, the wrong conclusion, but the conclusion nonetheless that God must be against me. But this is not true. This is not according to the Word of God. If we make ourselves the friend of the world, we make ourselves the enemy of God. You see, the truth is, God has done everything possible to be man's friend and not his enemy. God has taken every measure possible to be your friend and not your enemy. God has done all that is required for you to be in fellowship with him and not be his enemy. He has done all of these things, by the way, while you and I still remained in our own choosing his enemy. But He has established the terms of peace and He has established the terms of friendship with Him. Jesus has paved the path and the road to reconciliation with God. Jesus did that. He spanned the, dif the, the distance between us and God. He has paved this path here in this life and He paved it while He was in the world. So, you have before you a choice to make, and so do I. And it's a choice of friendship. It is a choice to make God your friend, or to make the world your friend. It is a choice to continue walking as the friend of the world, thus making yourself, by definition, an enemy of God, or... To walk the road of repentance and faith in God and Christ and find peace with the one you once made your enemy. That is your choice. And maybe there might be someone who doesn't believe what I'm saying here. Maybe you don't fully buy it. Maybe you think this can't be true. Maybe you think it can't be true that God wants to be my friend. He is indeed my enemy. And he wants to be my enemy. If you think that way about God, I want to just have you think about a few things with me here this morning. If God wanted to be your enemy, then there would be nothing for you but destruction. If God wanted to be your enemy, 
Who could could you for a moment stand against him? If God has made you his enemy, what hope do you have? None. You think somehow that you will overcome him? You think somehow that you have the ability to stand against the one who called all things into existence from nothing? Of course, of course not. But you see, God has not made himself your enemy. If he had, then there wouldn't be any single one of us here remaining this morning with an opportunity to find grace and to find his mercy and to be saved. So you see, the very fact that you're breathing in oxygen into your lungs and that your life continues, this brief, temporary life that we live that is a ground in which we must make this choice between being a friend of the world or a friend of God, the only reason that you're still here given that choice if you've not yet made it is because God does not want to be your enemy. He does not desire to be your enemy. He jealously longs over you to have fellowship with you. If you are in an adversarial relationship with God, it is because you have made yourself His enemy. It's not because God wants that to be the situation between you and Him. I hope that's encouraging to you to think that God wants to be your friend, but yet He will not force you to be. Because He wants your willing choice. He wants to give you this choice. Choose the world or choose me. He's been very clear. You can't choose both. You're going to have to choose one. So which is it? And for James, he's telling us how we can become the friend of God. And though God does not want to be your enemy... We must be very careful when we say something like that because it's easy to come to the wrong conclusion. Because this is not to say that all will have peace with God. Certainly all do not, and certainly according to Scripture, it appears that most don't. So because, that, because of the fact that God does not want to be your enemy does not mean that He isn't. It just means it's not His will, but it's yours. And if you do make Him your enemy here in this life, if there isn't peace between you and God, again, it is because you have made yourself His enemy. And if you have nothing but fear of God that is not tempered with a love for Him as your friend, then again, it is because you have made yourself His enemy. But a word of warning here, again, in case you get the wrong idea, if you make yourself the enemy of God your whole life and you choose the world as your friend instead of Him, then listen, God will deal with you as an enemy when you reach eternity, when you leave this world. Jesus spoke of that fact more than any other in the New Testament. Jesus revealed that to us more clearly than anyone else in the Bible. That there is going to be a point in time when you are separated from this life to the next life and that next world will be a world without end. And if you choose the world all your life long and you never come to God and make Him your friend in this way in which James is going to show us, 
Don't think for a moment that because it wasn't God's will that you made him your enemy. Don't think for a moment that you will not be treated as one when you enter eternity because you will. There will be no path of reconciliation in the world that is to come. That path was paved here in this life by Jesus Christ. Therefore, that path is in this life, not the next. The path to reconciliation with God must be found while you are in this world because if you go to the next world without having walked this path, it will be eternally too late because the path is not found there. It's here. The choice is not there. It's here. The opportunity to be saved is here in this world and in this life. That path to walk, to, to become a friend of God must be walked in this life. You see, there is a gulf, the Scripture tells us, that is fixed between heaven and hell. And no one in eternity, no one in heaven or hell will be able to span that gulf, will be able to walk the distance, will be able to go from one place to the other. Jesus taught us this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 16, verse 26. The, the story that Jesus gave of Lazarus and the rich man who opened his eyes in hell and asked Abraham to, to send Lazarus to come and dip his finger in the water to cool his tongue. And, and, and this is one thing that he was told, the rich man. Beside this, between us and you, between us in heaven with God and you in hell and separated from Him, Beside this, between us and you, there is a great chasm. The ESV uses that word chasm. Gulf is what the King James uses. And it has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. You see the path, that gap, that chasm, that gulf is fixed and no one will span it in eternity. The path to reconciliation with God, the path to friendship with God is found and walked in this life, not the next. If there is one thing that I was concerned about some decade ago or more now of the Left Behind series and the whole theology that is that uh, that there might be an opportunity to be saved after Jesus returns, that's the greatest concern I have over all of it. All of the theatrics and all of the other things, there may be accuracy to some of it. I don't want to get into all of that, but I will tell you this. The moment that Jesus returns, that path of reconciliation will be forever closed. And you will have chosen whether you've made the world your friend or God your friend. And that will be a decision that is eternally made. Now with this being true, and it is, is there anything more important in your life than for you to make God your friend here and now? Is there anything more important than making God your friend in this life? And certainly there isn't. Whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, and I don't know what all of it is. I know some of it because we are brothers and sisters here in this church. I know some of the things you're dealing with and wrestling with and the burdens that you have. And you know some of mine and our families. And we share them and it is a blessing. But whatever you're dealing with in your life right now, whatever decisions you're making, whatever problems you're facing, whatever opportunities you might be weighing, I don't know them all. I don't know what they are, but I can tell you this about them. I don't have to know what they are to know this about them. They're not as important as this decision to make God your friend and to reject the world. 
whatever they are. How many times at work, and it seems of late, at, at my work, you show up to work with one set of plans and priorities and then something happens and all of a sudden your original priorities are no longer important because there's something more pressing that needs to be dealt with. You know, in life, that's often how it is. You go about your day, you wake up in the morning and you've got plans for the day and it's good to have plans. We should be thoughtful about our day, I think. We shouldn't waste time. It's the only irreplaceable resource that we have. We should be thoughtful about that. But we go about our day, we make our plans, and then something happens, and all of a sudden our original plans evaporate in importance and disappear. I pray this morning that that is what happens to all of your other troubles in your life right now when you think about this question, is God my friend? None of the other things that you're dealing with are as important. They're not. All of them varying degrees of important. And please hear me. I didn't say they weren't important. I said they're not as important. They do not measure up to this. So I tell you today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever things are wrestling for your attention, whatever priorities are, are dictating your life, I want you to know they're not as important as this idea and this concept and this decision to make God your friend. To refuse the friendship of the world. To refuse the advances of the world. To refuse the flirtations of the world. And to make God your friend. And to walk with Him in this life as His friend. The things you're facing, those decisions, those problems, those opportunities that are before you, Please consider their priority in light of this question. Am I God's friend? Am I walking with Him? Am I walking with Him in such a way that that relationship with Him is the first, it is the primary, it is the priority of from which all other priorities of my life derive? Can you say that? Can I say that? That all the things that encompass my life, all of the decisions that I make, the job that I choose to work, the places that I choose to go, the friendships that I choose to make and maintain, the things that I choose to read, the things that I choose to watch, are they driven by my priority that God is my friend first and foremost? And if anybody writes a biography about my life, that that's what they're going to see through it all. Not a perfect person, an imperfect one who fell time and again, who had weaknesses and failures, and yet through it all there was a, a, a string, a, a a thread of yarn from, from the moment that he became God's friend or she became God's friend to the moment that they left the world. There's that string and you can connect it throughout all their life. That's the most important thing. Can you say that today? Is he your friend? Is he your friend to the point that nothing else matters on the scale of priority? But how then? I, I hope the answer is yes. Maybe it isn't. And by the way, you can be God's friend and yet be walking out of fellowship with Him and not walking in the friendship that you would like. We see that in human relationships, don't we? We have people that we would call our friend and yet maybe there's something between you and them. There's some, something that was said or done some decision that was made that has caused strife in the relationship, but then you know what? Some other thing happens in life that is far more important and, and they still come and they're your friend. 
Sometimes we treat God this way. I think He's our friend. I pray that I would never, never, never say that God was not my friend. Whatever whatever the cause or whatever the result of such a statement might be, that I would never say such a thing. And yet, am I walking with Him today as His friend? How do I make God my friend? The obvious answer is to refrain from making yourself a friend of the world. That seems to be the obvious answer from verse 4. And, and that's certainly part of it. No doubt about it. But what even does that mean? What does it look like in our lives to be a friend of God? How can we even hope to make God our friend? He, he needs nothing from us. And sadly, that's the idea that many have about friendship. Is I want to be friends with this person because they can do something for me. They can advantage me. They can give me a head at work. They're financially well off, so they'd be a good person to be friends with. And you know, it's it, I, I've I've encountered people that even I, maybe unknowingly to themselves have expressed such. Right? Well, I'm their friend because it's really advantageous that I be their friend. I hope that's not how we look at God. By the way, it is advantageous for you to be a friend of God beyond any description that we could ever give. But are you a friend of God because you love Him? You want to walk with Him? What does it look like in our life to be a friend of God? Again, He doesn't need anything from us. We can't impress Him. We can't earn His friendship or forgiveness. We can't buy it. We can't take it. We don't deserve it. So how can we then become a friend of God? Can we do this at all? What is ours to do and what is God's to do in this friendship? Once we've made God our friend, how do we remain close and in close fellowship with Him? Well, James provides the answers in verses 6-10. through 10. We want to look at them. We won't, we won't camp out on them for long at each, at each pass or each verse, but this is important to, to see what's necessary, what James encourages in us if we are to make God our friend. He says in verse 6, He gives more grace. So there's the answer. How do we become friends with God? God gives us grace to become His friends, to to walk with Him as friends. Therefore, in verse 6, back to verse 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The only means you and I have to make God our friend is the grace that God gives us to do so. That's it. God offers to you and to me His friendship. And that offer is given even though none of us merited the offer. God longs to be in fellowship with you. But you didn't merit such fellowship. It's because God is gracious to us. It's because God is good and God is loving. We've done nothing to give God reason to love us and to desire to walk with us as His friend, yet He desires to be our friend and in grace He offers this friendship. When I was 11 years old, God extended to me the offer of friendship. It came by conviction of sin and a burden that we'll talk about more in a moment. It was necessary because He is my friend and He knew and He knows now 
that the most important thing for me is to be in fellowship with Him, and in order to be such, their sin must be reckoned with. Please, I want you to stop for just a moment with me, though, here, and consider the magnitude of what that means. That in His grace, God has offered to us friendship. Friendship with His Son, the King, capital K, of kings, little k, the Lord, capital L, of lords, little else. The one himself who is omniscient knows all, omnipresent is everywhere, and omnipotent is all powerful. Friendship with the one who will remain, who will remain closer to you and more faithful to you than a brother, according to Proverbs 18.24. Do you see the magnitude of the offer that is on the table for you and for me to be a friend of God. And do you see then how silly it would be to choose to be a friend of the world instead of His friend? To be His enemy instead of His friend? Perhaps your struggle in making God your friend or remaining close to Him is that you're walking through this life and you're thinking you have to earn it. That somehow you have to prove yourself. To him. Maybe you're doing a great many Christian things, but deep within there isn't peace and friendship with God. Maybe, maybe you want him to be your friend, but, but there's not that relationship with him. He's not your friend, though you might have a desire for him to be so. Maybe you look outwardly like a friend of God to, to me and to others maybe, but inwardly there isn't communion and fellowship with Him that comes with true friendship. The kind of outward Christian walk when, uh, uh, when you, or maybe you look again outwardly like His friend, that kind of outward Christian walk when rightly understood, that's more about you and your pride than it is about God and in humility walking as His friend. Let me ask you some questions by way of self-examination. Questions are good to do that. Ask yourselves the, the hard questions. Don't avoid them. I read just this past week that we're all one question away, the right question away from changing our life. I want you, to, I want you to, not to me, but I want you to answer, to consider these questions by way of self-examination and to examine your friendship with God. You, again, you don't need to answer me. But you do need to answer yourself. Are you more concerned about impressing others with your Christianity than you are in walking with God in true fellowship? Are you willing to be rejected as a fool by everyone in your life if it would lead to a closer walk with God? Is it more important to you that other people know your name than it is that God knows your name? Do you desire to hear God's voice in your heart more than all the other voices in the world in your ears? Is He your friend? The answers to these questions and others like them will reveal, I think, the condition of your friendship with God. It will reveal whether perhaps you're living in religious pride, which, re which God resists, by the way, as, he, as we've read, or if you are truly walking with God as His friend. And if these questions have revealed that you've been living a life where pride has dressed itself up in the clothes of Christianity while Christ is not in your heart, then I ask you to listen to the words of James and the words of Scripture. 
Hear God when He tells you this, that your hope of friendship with Him is not based or founded upon your performance, but upon His grace. Grace that He promises He will give more of to all who truly desire it. And I had this thought as I was preparing to come this way this morning, or last night even as I was studying, if God promises to give us more of something, then we can be sure we will always have enough of whatever we need. And the most of all that we need is grace from God. And He has just promised us that He would give us more. But you see, God gives more grace to those who seek Him for it. Who seek Him for it. You will never earn grace. That's not possible. Paul talked about that and said if it's with merit, then it's no more of grace. The moment you introduce the idea of merit and earning God's love and, and forgiveness, you've removed grace altogether. And the Bible tells us very clearly that salvation is impossible apart from grace. However, you must understand and I must understand that while friendship with God is without merit, it is not without condition. Friendship with God is without merit. You'll never earn it. But it is not without condition. The Bible is clear on this point. What are those conditions? That's what James tells us in verse verses 7 through 10 and we'll just hit them this morning briefly. The first condition is submission to God according to verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Second Chronicles chapter 30 verse 8 we read this, do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary. To be God's friend, you must submit to Him. You must yield. You must yield. Acknowledge Him, not just as a God. Acknowledge Him not just even as the God. Don't just recognize Him and say, Yes, I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe that He's God. I don't believe all the silly explanations for why I'm here and while all that I see is here, I don't believe in the silly explanations of, of the ignorant people in the world today that says it's all just cosmic accident that from nothing came everything. I don't believe that. I believe there's a God. I believe that He is the God as demonstrated and written about in the Bible. But don't just come to Him and admit that and submit to, to, submit to that. That's not yielding yet to Him. Yield to Him not as a God, not even as the God, but your God. Yours. You must submit to Him. These are the terms of friendship with God. Yield to Him and submit yourself to Him to obey Him, to follow Him, to trust Him, to honor Him, to love Him, to walk with Him. Listen, friendship with God is not a friendship of equals. It isn't. It's not a friendship of equals. It's a friendship offered by God to us as mere men and women and on top of that fallen men and women. 
And while it is a true friendship, it is. It is ever and always necessary to remember that He is God and we are not. And our friendship with Him involves our submission to Him. And He is who He is. And so submission is only right. We are His creatures, and James has said that. It's like He reminds us of that and brings us back to that again and again. You're His! You're living because He gave you life. You're walking on the ground that He called forth from nothing. You're driving in a car that He gave man the ability to create and to, or to build and to assemble. You're breathing oxygen and it brings nutrients and the needs of your body to, contain, to sustain life because He designed it that way. We must submit to Him. Lack of submission to God and His will has been a stumbling block. I believe to many who have never become his friend, unwilling to submit, unwilling to acknowledge him, unwilling to yield their life to him. And yet also I believe that lack of submission to God and his will has also proven a stumbling block to many of his true and sincere friends, but who at times in their life refuse to yield and refuse to submit and refuse to let go of that which God wants which is your heart and everything else in your life. I believe that lack of yielding to God, I believe that it is proven to be a stumbling block and it has just blocked the friendship with God that we would like to have. If you sense a lack of God's friendship in your life, it, it might very well be because you have never or you are not now submitting yourself to Him. You're holding something back. And James says at the very entrance of this list to be his friend, submit, yield. Are you not perhaps placing yourself at his disposal? Are you saying to him, I pray this is what you're saying to him, my life is yours, do with it what you will. Send me and I will go. Command me and I will obey. Ask me for what I hold in my hand and I will give it to you. Because you are my friend. And you have promised to ever be my friend and to give me blessings far beyond any that I could measure, count, or contain and certainly merit. You sent your son to die for me, to pay for the sins that I never could. I submit to you then as your obedient servant and yes, doulos in the Greek, slave. You are my master and I choose you. I willingly offer my life to you. You might think this is an awfully high price to pay for friendship, but remember, we're talking about friendship with God. You're not going to regret living a submitted life to God. You won't. Please hear me when I say that. You will not regret living a submitted to life a submitted life to God. Do you know what you're going to regret? You're going to regret having submitted your life to this world. Because it does not pay. It only takes. It does not bless, it only curses. It does not continue, it only ends. It does not give you confidence and certainty because it doesn't have that to give. It's always and ever changing around you. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how do you become a friend of God? You, you submit to him and you resist the devil. 
It's just pointed. James is writing here as someone, I think, who's walked as God's friend and has submitted himself to him, and it seems as though he knows the challenges that will follow such a life. He knows them. When you submit yourself to God, listen, when you submit yourself to God, God is not the only one that's going to notice. God will notice, but he's not the only one that's going to notice. You know who else is going to notice? Your enemy. You know who else is going to notice? Those worldly friends that you once walked with. Those co-workers that are going to notice, that are going to, to, to not be an encouragement to your walk with God, to your friendship with Him, but they're going to continually try to drive a wedge between you and God, and that's what the enemy will do. And so James almost follows up, submit yourself to God. And by the way, when you've submitted yourself to God, it is almost, you can say, and I'm certainly including and adding a lot to this, but it's as if he is saying to us, when you submit yourself to God, be ready and resist the devil, because he's not going to lose you without a fight. He's going to continue to try to make you decide for this world rather than God. When you submit to God, others are going to notice. While some might encourage you in, 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 in your submission to God, and, and some will. And by the way, that's why church attendance is so important, and fellowship with other believers is so important, and reading your Bible is so important, because these are the people that will encourage you to continue to submit to God in your life, which is where you want to be, and where you ought to be, and is the best place for you to be. And we know that, and so we encourage one another to submit ourselves daily to God. That's who you need to be listening to, not to the people around you saying submit yourself to the world and they may package it up with all kinds of pretty things and make you think that there's a life out there that is as blessed as it can possibly be but if it is distant from God and not a friend of God and a friend of the world it's going to leave you empty and hollow and sad and burdened and fearful and so you need to be around people that would encourage your submission to God but there are going to be others that are going to encourage your submission to the world and principle among them of course is our enemy the devil He's not going to lose you without a fight. He will come alongside you and he'll begin to whisper in your ear that submission to God, is this is not the path to your best life. He'll even send emissaries with shiny teeth, perfect hair and eloquent words and promises that you ought to just live your life for you. And they'll tell you that God's more interested in you than he is in his own son. And you'll begin to believe him. And you'll begin to make the world your friend. And you'll end up an enemy of God. And that is the worst place that you can possibly be. When the enemy of your soul and mind comes to you in these ways to remain God's friend, you must resist him. Resist him. As I thought about this, I wondered, to my shame, I wonder how many times I have walked as a friend of the world and I haven't even really given a fight. I wonder sometimes how much of a fight I put up when confronted by the enemy. How much sin in my life is committed without a single shot fired on my part? How much scripture do I wield as a sword against him? Do I know to wield as a sword against him? Am I 
hiding in my heart, ready to wield against this one who would come alongside me and whisper one lie after another to encourage me to make the world my friend. How much faith do I place in God as a shield against the darts of this enemy, the devil? I say to you and to me with James, resist the devil. Resist him. And if you don't know how, then I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6. It gives us the armor of God and it will be a great advantage to you to know what your weapons and armor is in defeating and resisting this enemy. Resist this one, knowing that he desires nothing but destruction for you and everyone and everything that you love. Resist him, knowing that the people that you meet and the opportunities that you have to be an influence over them, he desires to destroy them. Resist him. Of course not in your strength. We'll get to that. But resist him. When somebody comes and tries to separate you from your best friend, what do you do? Do you not resist? How often do we resist this one who comes and desires to separate us from our friend, God? When the devil says to you that you can't follow God's will in your life without throwing your life away, remind him that Christ has bought your life. And it's not yours to throw away anyway. Not in that sense. When the devil says there's no reason to go on and you should put your Bible down and give up, remind him that Christ has won the victory for you and for all who will be a friend of God. And there will be nothing that you will let go of or that you will be without security in, in eternity. Remind this enemy of yours that he can no longer touch you in any way that will cause lasting harm to you. Fear not the one who can take this life, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. Be the friend of the one who has that kind of power. So submit to God. Resist the devil. Next in verse 8, draw near to God. Draw near to Him. As we resist the devil, we are to draw near to God. And I think it's one and the same thing, and yet two different ways of looking at the same process. In order to resist the devil, you're going to need to draw near to God. To draw near to God is to resist the devil. But sometimes what we want to do, sometimes what we want to do is just to do one instead of the other. And what I mean by that is we think, well, if I just don't sin and I just don't... And I just try to live a good life and I don't do anything overtly terrible and commit such a public sin that it brings reproach on my family. You can do that and still not draw nigh to God. So it's not just resist. It's not just put on a good look outwardly. It's not even just resist the sin. It's draw nigh to God. This friend, as we resist the devil, we must draw nigh to God. Your strength to resist this devil will soon fade anyway if you are not also making every effort to draw near to and remain near to God. To, to find your rest in Him, in God. Find your consolation in, in your friend, God. To find the peace that you long for in your friend, God. Though the, though the enemy and your own sin might batter you and toss you about and cause you great distress, 
Always remember that God is there, and if you will but draw near to Him, you'll find Him again your friend. I am convinced that many of us do not enjoy nearness to God simply because we do not draw near to Him. We don't pursue Him. We don't pursue Him. We wait for Him to pursue us. And again, that is how it starts. But James reminds us here, pursue Him. I think it was Tozer, I believe, that wrote the book, The Pursuit of God. Pursue Him. Psalm 42, this is a biblical idea. If you think it's strange, and and I'd ask you in your day, how is your day set up? Your typical day, how's it set up to pursue God? Because this is a biblical idea. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Him? Psalm 63.1 O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. If You would make God Your friend, draw near to Him. Such a simple thing. Perhaps not easy, but such a simple thing. And yet we seem to walk around much of our lives confused about what it takes to be a friend of God. And it's not complicated. Walking with God as your friend involves submission to Him, resisting the devil. It involves drawing near to God and continuing on. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. To make God your friend, you're going to have to deal with your sin. If there's sin between you and God, you will not be able to walk as friends not like you would like until you deal with that sin and wash your hands of it. You'll have to do this daily, by the way, because we live in these mortal bodies, this carnal heart and mind. But that does not mean that it cannot be done to have your heart, your hands cleansed of sin. Some think, well, I can't avoid sin, so God must be okay with it. No, that's only a half-truth. You won't avoid sin entirely. None of us will. But that last part of that statement wasn't true. God's not okay with it. God's not okay with it. We must go to Him and ask Him to cleanse us. Believe that He will. Psalm 51 verse 2. David writes, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Remember His great iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So, briefly as we head toward a close to, re- to, to be a friend of God we must submit to him resist the devil draw near to him and cleanse our hands of sins and then he says to purify your hearts you double minded I've always been intrigued by this verse I've always been intrigued by it it's always caught my attention because it says to purify your hearts you double minded I've often wondered why did he say purify your hearts you double hearted or why didn't he say purify your minds you double minded he says purify your hearts you double minded we are told here to do just that purify your heart you that are double 
minded. Thus, it is the double minded man or, or woman who will have an impure heart, it seems. Double mindedness will lead to an impure heart. To be double minded about God is going to lead to sin and to separation. And it's going to lead to a heart that is not pure. What is this saying to us? I think it's saying to us that to be a friend of God, you must not stumble. You must not hesitate. You must not hedge. You must throw your lot in with God. Or you're going to be left throwing your lot in with the world. You're going to have to throw your lot in with God. All the chips forward. All the chips down, as they say. Leaving nothing to chance. Leaving nothing as a hedge, as an insurance policy in this world. I'm reminded of Elijah's words to Israel. Do you remember this? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? The King James says, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. If Elijah were here today, would he ask you and I the same question? Would he say the same thing to us? How long will you go limping? between two opinions. How long will you be double-minded? So, purify your heart, you double-minded, by becoming single-minded. And then he says, be wretched and mourn in verse 9, and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So few turn to this, so many, I should say, turn away from this verse, unwilling to go through the deep contrition and examination of heart to make God their friend, they turn to the world instead. Going from one silly laugh to the next. One pointless entertainment to the next. Some will want to escape these words that I am saying today and that James says here. And to do so, they will run to some gathering of worldly friends looking to warm their hearts with fires of the world that hold no heat. Some silly little engagement. Some silly little sporting event. Some silly little gathering of friends that in the end leaves you as empty as it found you. Trying to warm your heart with meaning and purpose by a fire of the world that though it burns, it brings no heat. It brings no meaning. It leaves you not warmed, but leaves you colder than you ever were. People don't want to wrestle with this verse that we're told in verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. This is, this is necessary. This is a sober thing. To make God your friend, you will need to come to a place of honest, difficult, and even ugly truths about yourself, your worldly friends, and the world itself. You're going to have to come to some very ugly things. And it's going to cause mourning and weeping. You must not make light of it. It must become the most sobering and important topic of your life. Is God my friend? Listen, laughing off the absence of God's friendship is about the worst thing you could ever do. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Because one way or the other, one day or another, it will. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He closes verse 10. The final word here of encouragement on this topic, his, his words are not without promise. James does not leave us without promise. 
The great irony of submission to God is that he will exalt you. He will give you hope. He will give you peace. He will give you laughter that truly warms your heart. He will give you meaning. He will give you purpose. He will be a friend like no other. He will lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He will comfort you in your grief. He will guide you when you don't know what to do. He will love you even when you know you do not deserve his love. He will provide for you when the world takes everything from you. He will stay with you when everyone else forsakes you. He will lift you up when all the world and even your own heart and mind are trying to bring you down. This is what God will do as your friend. This and many other things. Would you make God your friend today? Is He your friend? Is that your desire? Then humble yourself before Him. Submit yourself to Him. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands of the sin that covers them. Purify your heart with a single-mindedness to seek and follow God as His friend and seek God's friendship with a soberness befitting the activity. I pray that God would work His Word into your heart, that this would be the beginning or the, a new beginning, a beginning again, as every day is, to make God my friend and to not make the world my friend and God, thus God my enemy. That is your choice. I pray that you choose wisely. Let's have some.